Kent Woods will forever be remembered as an authentic Arizonan. The former Republican Arizona Attorney General was celebrated at the Orpheum Theater in downtown Phoenix on November 23rd. The memorial service brought crowds of family, friends, and those who respected Woods in his longtime service to Arizona. Reverend Warren Stewart Sr. had this to say about him. My late pastor's wife used to say of him, the magnitude of the man continues to unfold. And indeed, the magnitude of Grant Woods continues to unfold even today and will continue for decades to come. Woods died of a heart attack on October 23rd. He was 67. He is survived by his wife, Marlene Galan Woods, and their five children. Woods was known as a fighter who stood up for what was right, even when it wasn't popular. Welcome to the gaggle. Today, we're also remembering Grant Woods and his legacy. I'm your host, Ron Hansen, a national reporter for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, also a national politics reporter. The Gaggle is a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on Arizona's political news. Grant Woods served Arizona as Attorney General for two terms, from the early 1990s, starting in 1991, to 1999. A graduate of Mesa's Westwood High School and Occidental College in Los Angeles, he then returned to Arizona to pursue his law degree. In 1979, he graduated from the then-called Arizona State University College of Law, now the Sandra Day O'Connor School of Law. Woods cut his political teeth as chief of staff to fellow Republican and then U.S. Representative John McCain in the early 1980s. He then went on to become a partner at a Mesa law firm, where he worked until deciding to run for office himself in 1990. He jumped into the race for state attorney general after longtime Republican incumbent Bob Corbin withdrew before the primary. He also married local television news anchor Marlene Galan that year. Known for being a moderate to liberal conservative, Woods campaigned on civil rights issues, openly supporting a state Martin Luther King Jr. holiday and opposing a GOP-backed English-only ballot measure. McCain and other prominent Republicans nonetheless supported Woods' candidacy, and he won. Cindy McCain recalls how Woods and her late husband John McCain were cut from the same moral cloth. Grant is authentic. And there, were, there was no attribute John more appreciated in a political figure, or in anyone for that matter, than authenticity. They were the real deal. There was, there was nothing phony or affected about either of them. They were themselves, always. Even in situations when it was shrewder or safer to be more guarded. They didn't know how to be anyone else. They never wanted to be anyone else. And that desire to be true to themselves and honor the people who had helped form their character marked their conduct in public office. They were conviction politicians, and they had the courage for it. They stood for what they believed was, was in the public interest, and even when it jeopardized their own personal interests, 
and they scorned people in public life who put themselves before the good of their constituents or the country. Today, we're joined by the Republic's longtime columnist, E.J. Ed Montini. Ed, welcome to The Gaggle. Thanks. Great to be here. Let's start off with your own thoughts on Grant Woods. In your column on him, you wrote that Grant Woods was a guy everybody knew, even if you didn't. Unpack that for us. I think that what he managed to do, which was rare, I think, with a lot of politicians and people who are involved in politics, was to maintain his life in the present. He had in the, you know, when I first met him in the early 1980s, he was sort of a traditional Republican. But then he seemed to grow in his own way outside the party lines. Um, you know, when he, he fought big tobacco, he had, he supported the King holiday, as you mentioned earlier. He did other things like that. He had a number of run-ins with then Republican governor uh, when, when uh, Fife Symington became governor, he had a number of run-ins with him. But he didn't live in the past. So after he got out of politics, he still maintained his connections with other things. He got into all kinds of um, different causes. He was really into music. He was really into the arts. He had all kinds of varied interests. And he kept up with the times. And so you have multi-generational people who were able to relate to him. You know, you had people who knew him from the 80s. And he was, you know, so active on social media these days that people got to know him then. And with his varied interest in things like sports, you know, the last big news story he got made was when his weenie law firm, Gallagher and Kennedy, fired him because he criticized Ken Gendrick of the Arizona Diamondbacks. That hits a whole different, you know, group of people. And uh, so he was able to, I can't tell you how many people wrote to me after I had written about him and called themselves. Either they sent me emails, messages, or DMs on, on Twitter about how Grant Woods was their Twitter friend. And it's like, okay, I didn't even know that was a thing, but that's good. Uh, but I knew he was that way. I mean, he responded to what interested him. And that could come from somebody in a position of power. And it could come to somebody who had those three Twitter followers that were their, you know, their husband, their wife, and their dog. You know, it's like, it's like that was it. So he was that kind of person. I think that's how it worked out for him. Woods did have such an incredible impact on people, people he agreed with, people he didn't agree with, as you said. Um, he engaged on a variety of topics. He had friends across all of the political aisles and into the professional arenas. Charles Barkley, the former Suns player, is counted among Grant Woods' friends, and he had this story to share. Grant Woods was my friend. He was my friend. I got traded here in 1992. And I remember Cod Fitzsimmons said to me, the Attorney General wants to meet you. <laughs> and I said, Cotton, I haven't even got arrested in Arizona yet. <laughs> and, and he says, no, he's a big, he plays basketball. I said, he does? And I said, well, I would love to. So we go, he says, but you got to do it on a Friday. And I'm like, why on a Friday? Because he plays basketball every Friday. And I said, okay, let's make it happen. So we go up, and I'm looking, I'm like, 
This dude's the attorney general and he's trying to play basketball. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was flat out awesome. And then we got together afterwards and had some lunch and he says, what do you think? I said, what do you mean? What do I think? <laughs> and I said, he says, what do you think about me as a basketball player? I said, well, uh, as an attorney general, you're a great attorney general. I said, as a basketball player, you're a great attorney general. Uh, and from that day forward, we just started hanging together. It was awesome. So we talk about Woods as being sort of an authentic kind of guy, genuine, uh, somebody who was really grounded in his convictions, even if it wasn't necessarily always popular. Mm -hmm. How did you see that play out from your vantage point? Well, I think I think that uh, it's true that like uh, one of the things Cindy McCain said about him as being authentic, and I think there's an element of truth to that. And part of that is that he was lucky enough to have been a boy and grown up at a time when Arizona had those kind of people around. Um, you know, he grew up in the era when Barry Goldwater was like a, a like a, like such an icon in Arizona by that time. But not just those kind of political people. You know, he understood things across the board. So he would appreciate everybody from like Barry Goldwater to Edward Abbey, the writer, to Alice Cooper, the musician. You know, so he understood that kind of thing. And he was of the belief, and I think Arizona was one of those places where if you held to your personal convictions, that was the ultimate respect people could give to you if they believed that you were that kind of person. And I think he grew up with those kind of examples and that he just became one of them on his own. How did you see, when it comes to the politics of being an authentic person, how did you see that playing out in sort of the final maybe two or three years um, after the passing of John McCain, for example? Well, the, the the passing of John, one of the things that you I think is important to remember about Grant is that he understood um, public relations. He understood getting the attention of the public. And he was, in his own way, a really good performance artist. His eulogy of John McCain is might be the best eulogy I have ever seen. And I think it might be the best one that, that was done, period. I think it was really great. Well, that did a lot for him. But in addition to that, he had already come out. I mean, he was such a critic early on of the way Donald Trump was leading the Republican Party um, that that set him up more in the public eye. Um, he took chances there. He switched parties, not because he was necessarily a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, but because he thought they held more to the beliefs that he held than what was happening with the Republicans. That got him more interested in the kind of things that um, becoming more involved, actually, more publicly involved. So he was often on CNN or MSNBC or something like that. And he got involved in causes and he got involved with individual candidates. You know, he was very influential. I think he helped tremendously someone like Kirsten Sinema get elected to the U.S. Senate. Um, you know, and th those kind of things were really important to him because of the issues that were behind them. You know, like his 
major issues, which um, you know his wife spoke so eloquently about in his eulogy, was the voter suppression issue that comes when state legislatures that are controlled by one party can really shift the way voters have access to the polls. He was very, very concerned about that, and he was very vocal about that, and so that was sort of his main political gig most recently. So you mentioned John McCain. Um, he is someone who obviously seemed to be orphaned from the Republican Party uh, by the end of his life. Uh, Grant Woods also made a turn from the GOP in a sense. How much does that say about them as men? How much does it say about the party or contemporary politics? Yeah, I, I think it says a lot about politics, but it's not necessarily contemporary. I mean, as you, if you remember, if you've been here for a while, um, Toward the end of his life, the Arizona Republican Party wanted to remove Barry Goldwater's name from their headquarters because Barry Goldwater had said about um, gays in the military that you don't have to be straight, you just have to shoot straight and other things like that. And, um, you know, so, so John McCain had the Barry Goldwater example. Grant Woods had the John McCain example. And there are people now who have the Grant Wood's example, and you'd like to believe that there are still going to be those people coming up. I think there are those kind of people, though, in both parties. Um, it just so happens that because Arizona has been so, you know, Republican-centric because it's been so dominant in its most recent politics, they seem more visible there. And because Arizona has been a traditionally conservative state, that's also why you have that more here. So it's a shame in some ways that the examples of that kind of iconoclast have shifted from somebody like Barry Goldwater and John McCain to somebody like Donald Trump, who doesn't deserve anything near what, what those two guys did. Woods was also a controversial figure. He got involved in the whole Fiesta Bowl uh, scandal and uh, took a lot of heat for um, initially saying nothing was done here. Right. Walk us through that. He made a big mistake there, and he admitted it too. He said he didn't take, he didn't do his due diligence in that in that particular instance, which is true. Which is like what you should do. I mean, own your mistakes. I mean, I don't think he was afraid of owning his mistakes. I think it's that that's one of the big problems with politics today. You have. Uh, we, we see that all the time. You know, we have people who, uh, you know, like uh, Congressman Boebert in Colorado, who says something completely vicious and dangerous, potentially, and doesn't get any blowback from her own party for the most part because it's so tribal now. It's like we never criticize our own. That's a huge mistake. And nor do they anymore own their own mistakes. You know, they don't consider them mistakes. You know, Gosar uh, with his you know, the, the horrid, horrid enemy he did, um, you know, they, they actually take it as a point of pride rather than recognizing that, okay, maybe I went too far this time. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. It's okay to own a mistake. You know, Katie Hobbs has found that problem. I mean, if Katie Hobbs, I think, had owned her mistake right away, had said, I regret my role, well, however it was in this particular instance, from the very beginning and just hammered that, it would have gone away easily. Um, but she hemmed and hawed. And now you have blowback from 
Um, what's interesting that I've gotten is that there are a lot of Democrats who are saying the same things, uh, saying you must support her no matter what. And it's like that. I don't think that would have occurred. I don't think I think I would have been really interested to hear what Grant had to say about that instance, because he didn't really get a chance to, to weigh in on that. And that would have been really fascinating because I think he would have said, no, you blew it and you should admit that you blew it and move on rather than just be so tribal that you refuse to admit a mistake because it seems like it's weakness. This year, um, as you mentioned, Grant was very vocal about what he thought needed to be done in Congress about some of these, to address some of these voting rights issues um, that Democrats clearly are not going to be able to advance because of the filibuster in the U.S. Senate. Kirsten Sinema, who has co-sponsored some of these bills, has been an original co-sponsor on these bills, um, has also been a very vocal proponent of of maintaining the filibuster. And that is something that she caught a lot of heat for from Grant Woods, um, from his wife, to some extent, during her eulogy um, with Yes, the she senator. didn't say her name, but I wish she, she would have actually. Yeah, that right, would have been she, fun. Yeah. She was sitting right there, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the in yeah. in the church, and everyone knew who she was talking about. One of his final text messages to me, um, beyond basketball, talked about um, Kirsten Cinema and voting rights, and you know, his views on what he thought she needed to do. And my response was, look, I'm tied up on a project. And he said, well, untie yourself yeah. from that project. <laughs> what does his criticism um, about her, along with his friendship with her, say about who he was? Because he was trying to be both. And in some ways, it looked as though from the outside, he was he was maintaining a friendship while vocally criticizing her. Yeah. Well, he actually said at one point um, that... Um, you know, if if you don't, if if you don't follow, essentially follow your ideals. I mean, ultimately, if you recognize that there is something like voter suppression going on, and it's and it's not just a local issue; it's a national issue, and that the only way to prevent it is to pass some legislation, some federal legislation that would stop all of those laws from going into effect, and the only way you can do that is to abolish the filibuster. What he was saying is if you're not willing to take those steps, then maybe you shouldn't be a U.S. senator. And he said that about her. And he totally believed in her. And he liked her very much. And he respected her very much. And he all those things. But he also understood that at a certain point, you have to take a stand on some issues. And I think the senator, in her own way, wants to have it both ways. She wants to say, oh, I support these things. But I don't want to get rid of the filibuster because that's how we compromise. Except there is no compromise. And so why bother with that right now? And you have many... You know, the filibuster doesn't exist in many states itself. Arizona does not have a filibuster. And look at Arizona now, um, how many, how much legislation is passed with a single vote these days because the parties were that close in the legislation. And there's not a lot of lot of um, uh, complaining about that. No one is suggesting we institute a filibuster in Arizona. It's like, well, they happen to have, the, you know, this party happens to have a single majority vote in this, but it's still a majority. And so what they say is going to go for a while until, you know, we get the majority or, you know, that's how it works. In the Senate, it doesn't work that way. And that just seems contrary to what is much more a common sense point of view. And then you just say, look, we're going to pass these laws. If when you get power in the Senate, you want to change them back, give that a try. 
try to convince the American people that you want to go back to voter suppression. That's like, good luck with that argument. You know, that would be a really tough one to sell, I think. So I think they're, he recognized that Democrats are in a position they may not be in again within two years. You have to take the opportunity to act when you should. And he was very vocal about that. And uh, yeah, you could see it. it. It really came out in his wife's eulogy. And that's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing to be reminded about. So speaking of somebody who wasn't shy about holding his own team and his own folks to account, uh, Grant was also known to take local sports teams and, and owners in particular to task for what they did and didn't do. Grant was very passionate about his sports. Uh, you encountered him when he was playing on a Friday basketball uh, league. What do you remember from meeting him? Um, in those days, in the early, in the early 1980s, when I was first arrived here, uh, there there weren't there wasn't like a like a gym on every corner, uh, and so, you know, the the place that you would go to exercise would be the downtown Y that that had the place that had the best facilities. Uh, although calling them facilities was kind of a joke, but it was it was a great place. Like I went there, and they had like a they had a weight room. They had a little boxing area where with a speed bag and a heavy bag, and I knew a couple guys down there. And sometimes afterwards, like working out with these guys, we would walk up to the gym and because there was always, always, there were always, always pickup games going on in that gym. And there, some of them were really quite good, really good players. Uh, but where I remember going up there, we were up there one day and um, I'm watching and watching these guys go back and forth on the court. And there was this guy back and forth on the court. Every time he got the ball, he took a shot and every shot he missed, he was fouled. And it was like, and every time... You know, somebody else got the ball. He was all over them, and they were never fouled. And it was like, you know, I remember saying to this this guy, I was standing there, who the heck is that guy? And that guy, he was like, oh, that, that's some dude who works for McCain. It's like he, and he, he thinks he actually can play basketball. And that's, I didn't even know at the, I mean, I didn't even know his name at the time. I found out later who he was, and uh, and and then he was, you know, he endlessly wanted to talk about that. And that was like the first time I met him. He actually said. Um, uh, do you, you know, said to me something like, do you play basketball? And I said, uh, uh, no, I don't play. So we, we have that in common, you know, and, uh, and he just, he said, I play all the time. I said, no, I seen you. That's what I mean. You know, it's like, and, uh, uh, but he's, he was that way and he was passionate about all those sports. And that was an easy way to get him into a conversation. I mean, we had, when he was the attorney general, there was, there were other issues that we had that we were, the conversations were not very pleasant. You know, we had discussions about um, the death penalty and stuff like that that weren't too much fun. So the way you operate when you're a reporter is you try to find some kind of way to uh, ease a conversation with somebody that you know is going to be tense a little bit. And so you, before you know it, you're like, how about them cardinals? How about them this or whatever? And we had those kind of discussions. You could see that he was like totally into it. And it came with every time, you know, when the Cardinals came to town, you know, he was totally, he was all in on that. You know, he was all in on the Suns. He was all in on the baseball players. He was really, really into it. And so, um, and there's a nexus between, an undeniable nexus between sports and politics these days, you know, and particularly with sports owners who get really involved in politics. And honestly, all three of the owners of, in Arizona are very much involved in politics. You know, some for some for good and some for crazy. Uh, and he recognized that, and he was not afraid 
to call them out both for their decisions about what they did on the field and for their decisions about what they did off the field. Take us through a story or a moment that you shared with Grant that may speak to his legacy here in Arizona. Well, there was a time in the 1990s where um, Senator John McCain got really angry with me for something I had written, and he refused to talk to me, and he refused to let any of his people, like, sort of answer my questions. And, uh, you know, honestly, this literally went on for 12 years. It only ended when I got a, a card or handwritten note from Senator McCain saying that he had liked something I had written, but it began like, I thought that maybe we could breach our communication barrier every 12 years or so. And I'm thinking, 12 years? Has it been that long? I, I had to really go back. I, I, went, I literally went back in my newspaper clips and thought, like, I don't even remember what I wrote last week. And you're telling me 12 years ago you got, you got ticked off at me and you're still mad. So I went all the way back and I found out what it was. It actually went all the way back to the Anita Hill hearings. That's how far back it went. But, you know, in the middle of that, there was like in about, you know, like after about five or six years of this, I had actually, you know, like I knew Grant was still close to him, you know, and Grant was, he was the attorney general at the time. And one of those moments when I had to talk to him as attorney general, I said to him, you know, you're still close with Senator McCain, aren't you? And I said, he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, maybe you could help me out here. I mean, like the, like the guy won't answer my questions. He won't even let his people answer my questions. I said, it's not like I talk to him every day. I said, it's just every once in a while. It's like, you know, it's like, I said, maybe, I said, could you help me out? Uh, like, just put in a word and say, you know, it should be okay to talk to the guy. And he said, he said, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I could help you out. I won't, but I could. And I said, well, why not? He goes, because he likes me. And I was like, <laughs> and I said, so that's the way he goes, yes, that's exactly the way it's going to be, you know. And so that's, that was, that's how it went. I didn't hear from McCain for like four more years after that. But when you did, it was with pizzazz. Yeah, it was like pizzazz. It was pretty great. It's like one of those one of those rare things where it's just hilarious. Although, honestly, uh, like a, it had to be six months later, I called his office because I'd done a couple things in that interim, and his one of his staffers uh, said, uh, hey, "I'm sorry, dude. You got another twelve years." Really? <laughs> really? And he said, "I'm sorry. Yes, that's totally it." So, yeah. All right. Well, that is EJ Ed Montini. He's a news columnist for the Arizona Republic. Ed, thank you so much for coming on sure, and no problem. sharing your memories of, uh, of of Grant with us. We uh, we already miss him. And listeners, be sure to follow Ed's columns by going to azcentral.com. Ed, where can people follow you on Twitter? At EJ Montini. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto and Kaylee Monahan with oversight from Manny Lozano. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts, like Valley 101, on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week.